Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Mosaic Church. Good to be with you. We're kicking off the Christmas season. Christmas is here. Jingle, jingle, fa-la-la, all of that. And you've got only a couple of uh, weekends left to shop for Christmas. So hopefully that encourages you and scares you at the same time. Because everything you order is now stuck on some ship out in the harbor by California. Anyways, so just to say Merry Christmas, I will end our sermon, right? Christmas brings so much tension. I don't know what the deal is with Christmas time that it feels like we should be so jolly and happy, but as soon as we start getting into the Christmas season, this tension starts to kind of squeeze us. Like, I don't have my cookies done. I don't know how I'm going to get my shopping done. I have all these things that start to tension and squeeze around me. And let's just be very blunt right now. We haven't had the easiest of a couple of years. So that tension is just squeezing around us. And here's a big tension that's happening right now. We have a really, really hard time for us as consumers to be able to tell what is true and what is not true. You look on TV and you see news, you look on Facebook and you see pictures, and this whole world of something called deep fakes has entered into our world. So if you're not familiar with the world of deep fakes, deep fakes are the ability to take a face or a person and place them into a place that they have not been or swap your face. In fact, I had an app on my iPhone in which I could put my face into movie scenes. So I had, if you saw my Facebook page, I became Iron Man, which was super rad. Like, <laughs> I am Iron Man, you know? So, but instead of Tony Stark's face, it was my face, which was kind of creepy but awesome. And so this deep fake phenomenon that's happening everywhere just creates more tension because we ask what is real and what is not real. It's getting so hard, and as technology continues to move forward, it's like all of this tension just is always squeezing on us. You've got tension from the outside. We have politics. We've got COVID. We've got Christmas. We have all of this stuff squeezing down on us all the time. It makes you just want to pop. I don't know. This is just me. Like I've got issues, so hopefully you're okay with this. But this tension that keeps coming, we ask the question, what is real. I even asked the question, are ships really all outside the harbor right now, or is this some ploy to get us to spend more money on other things? Was this some deep fake? Is this real? Is this not real? I ask questions all the time. You can, I can see something. And here's the thing that's even more crazy, is that because there's so many fake things or deep fakes, and they can put people in places, and all this is happening, People sometimes believe all these deep fakes, and then you have all these conspiracy theories and all this drama, and I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, what a crazy time we live in in 2021. It's like a time, no other time in history where what is truth? What is true? If, I, if I'm able to grab it, smell it, taste it, touch it, is it real? Even that's getting messed up now, right? Because we have the ability to manipulate and create things that aren't real, which are a facade of something that is real. I saw on social media this week that they have the ability now to create, uh, out of nothing, frogs that somehow now have 
I know this is crazy, computer parts with it, like micro nanorobots with frogs. And so we are all going to die by micro nanobot frogs at some point in history. It's crazy. It's crazy what is happening to us in 2021. What is not new, though, and you may not know this, if you're a history buff or look back in history, this is not something new. No nanorobots that are made of frogs, that's a new thing. What is, what is not new is faking it. Fakes. Pretending that you're something that you're not. Fake, even to the saying like, hey, Michelangelo painted this. No, it was somebody else. How do we know that it's real? And they make faked all the way back because you can say it's something, but it really wasn't. It's just a way to fool people and make money. I, I heard of different things like, hey, this was an actual thorn that came from the, the crown that Jesus wore. And so this is something that's been preserved for 2,000 years. Like, is that really a thorn from Jesus' time? Or did somebody say, hey, let's just say this is from Jesus' crown and make money? You know, what is real? It's been going on since humans have been around. And that's something I want to explore with you as we start our Christmas season. What is real? Because at Christmas time, there's so much stuff going around, so many stories, so many things. Uh, we hear about a Jesus, about a baby being born, and maybe that's a new concept for you, or uh, of thinking that he was actually God. We know Jesus in a manger, but they said he was God. Was that real or fake? We heard of Jesus in a manger, and they talk about stars, and we talk about wise men, and we talk about shepherds and angels singing. Was that real or fake? We talk about Christmas time in which Mary was a virgin and that Joseph came, but he didn't divorce her. Was that real or fake? We talk about all these things, and so much of the Christian faith rests right here at Christmas time, and oftentimes we just speed by it. We either accept it or we say, I don't know if I really believe it. And so our series here among us is going to be a new series that's going to ask these questions to help you kind of explore what actually can we look for as evidence to know that what we are worshiping, talking about, loving, and celebrating was real. And we're going to start with the most simplest of ideas, and that was this, that when a star went into a sky at night, that was a sign of something to prove this is all real. The star that we used to make in our colored pictures at Christmas time that somehow kind of made the cross because it would be short on the top and wide, and then we make it a big star. Remember when you make those pictures? Kind of like you always put the sun in the corner with the little lines coming down. Like we would make our Christmas star this big star in the sky. And this big star in the sky, we would have three wise men and fact, trivia. That's not true. We never said there were three wise men. We all made that up. That's fake. But how do we know that unless we read our Bible? So we're going to be doing that today and digging into the scriptures. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Um, it's, if you're newer to Mosaic, it's dark in here. So one of the reasons is we encourage Bible apps. If you have your Bible app phone or iPads, feel free to open up to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We'll have it up here on the screen as well. And as you're flipping to this, we're getting into an account of what is happening during the time of Jesus what happened at Christmas time? Now, if you are someone who reads the Christmas story, you typically read the book of Luke. Luke is what's typically read or heard at Christmas time, but we're not going to look at Luke today. We're actually going to look at Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Check this out. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all the Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. That's a fact that I want you to keep in the back of your mind right there. He wanted to know the exact time. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Something that's fascinating is that only in the Gospel of Matthew do you hear about this. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels. These are four different accounts of the stories and the timeline of what's happening in the time of Jesus. And these four different accounts have different perspectives of how these things are written. So in our nativity scenes, let's go back to our kindergarten nativity scenes. We make the star in the sky that's the big star up there. Maybe we put a couple of other stars, but we have the big star in the sky. And then we create a little stable, and we make a little manger, and then there's Mary and there's Joseph. And we have three magi coming carrying gifts. Sometimes we add donkeys. Sometimes we add camels. We add things to stuff, right, when we were a kid. We draw these three magi, but this is the only account in the book of Matthew that talks about them and never has the word three come up. We three kings have traveled so far. Oops, wrong story. Fake. What is true is that we do see that in the book of Matthew, he makes this as an important piece. Not Matthew did, Mark did not, Luke did not, John did not. And so one of the things that comes up often is why? Why in the world of these books, why didn't the other guys talk about this? This seems like it's an important piece here, especially what we're going to be exploring today, meaning we're exploring this big idea that this account proves that Jesus was the one and this is proof that he is the Messiah. So pose the question, why? And the other part of this question, which I think maybe you have struggled with, is when you read the Bible and you see something and you say, why is, Matthew has it here, but then this book doesn't have it. See, the Bible's not real. The Bible's not real. I can't believe the Bible because it's not matching up. We have four books that are kind of the same, but they're all completely different. This is the problem with this. I'm going to use a big word for you today called textural criticism. It's a way in which we look at the text and we take a look at this textual criticism, and this is the way we know that the author in the time in which he was written, by whom it was written by, at the, in the culture it was written by, in the style it was written by, and they take all these and they match them up. This is called textual criticism. It's a way of apologetics or us setting the Bible to know what is real. And textual criticism says this. Matthew was a very different author than the other three. Now, remember at this time... They did not have Snapchat. So Jesus is born. And here comes Jesus. And what is happening is oral conversations are happening. And during this time, 
We're not exactly sure. We believe that there is a parchment or a paper of someone is writing down everything that is happening. So they're writing down everything that is happening. There's also oral conversations of what is happening. And remember, this is a book that is being written. They can't give every single topic about what was going on. Like, well, the Bible doesn't say Jesus slept. He slept, man. He was human. Okay, we can, we can assume that. But the author's he lived 33 years. We can't have every single account of what was happening. And so when you look at these authors, they are writing to a specific audience with a specific purpose at a specific time. And so this parchment, which they thought existed, many pulled facts from there or the stories of Jesus. But then there are those who were around him and saw other things that were not part of that parchment. Now, Matthew was very specific in his writing was to a Jewish audience. So Matthew, being Jewish himself, sees things differently, and he is writing to a Jewish audience, which means to the Jewish audience, he is, has a huge idea in the back of his mind. He's writing this to say this. Jewish people, Jesus is the Messiah, the one we have been waiting for. And so Matthew is a lot longer than some of the other ones with a lot of details, which may go completely over our head. But to a reader back 2,000 years ago in Jesus' time, less than that because the book was written a bit later, but you look back and you say, as an audience of reading this, I'm reading it through my culture, just in the same way as if a book was written today to our culture. If I started re- writing a book that says, I want to explain how Jesus is real, explaining the concept of deep fakes. And I'm going to start to use criticisms and ideas about deep fakes. And I take that book and I go back 2,000 years. One of the disciples will be, what is a deep fake? And I said, oh, it's this thing that happens with computers. What is a computer? A computer is this. And I start to explain a computer. I'm still not getting it. What's the internet? Imagine 2,000 years ago trying to explain our culture. In the same way, when we go back... Our job as pastors and teachers is to take you from a culture of 2021 and help you go back to understand the culture of them. We cannot equate our two cultures. They're completely different. And so Matthew is writing to a mostly Jewish audience. Now, of that Jewish audience, some were believers, some were still skeptics. I think this is fake because they didn't know because they've been waiting so long for the Messiah to come. Actually, when we look at the gospel, the gospel spreads among Gentiles or non-Jewish. It would be us that it spreads upon faster because the Jewish people were like, I'm just not sure this is legit. So Matthew's book is a beautiful collection of saying, I'm going to prove to you, Jewish audience, that Jesus is the Son of God. So as he writes it in his account, you'll see that he's always pulling from Old Testament and Old Testament thoughts. So if you are a person in today who is reading your Bible and you're saying the Old Testament doesn't necessarily apply to us anymore or you tend to skip it because they talk about some stuff in there about like different clothing to wear and how to eat stuff and you're like, ah, this is just overwhelming, I'm going to challenge you because the Old Testament is the Word of God. And in the Old Testament, we start to see something that maybe you've never seen before is that everything is being set up to show us that Jesus is the Son of God and that the gospel 
us being saved because of our sin. Jesus is the only one who could do it. There is no other way to heaven. And that because God set in place a way to save all of humanity, we now have hope. That starts in Genesis chapter 1. It ends at the end of Revelation. So you'll hear us in the Mosaic family. We're going to talk and teach through all of the Bible, including the Old Testament, because it is so vital. So I just want to encourage you, challenge you, dig into the entire book. It says this in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Numerous textual indications point to the author who was a Jewish Christian, this is Matthew, writing for Christians of similar background. The gospel according to Matthew consequently emphasizes Christ's fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. So this is the book of Matthew. He fulfills Old Testament prophecies and his role as the new lawgiver whose divine mission was confirmed by repeated miracles. So Matthew is going to bridge the old with the new. He's saying, in the past, this is what was going on, and there were prophecies, there were signs that we are supposed to be looking for to know that this is real. And then he says, now look at what Jesus is doing. All of his miracles and everything that's happening is showing us that Jesus is real. That is the book of Matthew. If you're newer to Bible reading, I encourage you, dig into it, because Matthew has the most stories and the most miracles. You'll see the most uh, robust version of everything, where if you look at the book of Mark, it's pretty short, it's concise, and like, just give me the facts, Jack. It's more of a Twitter version of what happened. Let's just get to it, right? Matthew is telling you the whole story. So, moving on with that, I want to encourage you as you study the Bible in this, because everything that we're going to be talking through in this series and at Christmas time, this is my hope and my dream, my prayer for you is that you will walk out of this time seeing the signs that God is who that he says that he is, that Christmas matters, and that Easter saved us. If, if I can get you to walk out of Christmas time knowing that, knowing that sin is your fault, sin is our fault, the sin and the mess, because friends, I, I hear often, and maybe you've heard it, why is God doing this to me? My question to you is, why are you sinning? It's your fault. And what's beautiful about our story is that God is the one who saves us and gives us the answer to our sin. And so Christmas time, we're going to see this beautiful narrative running through the Old Testament of these, wait, God's going to send a Messiah. He's going to send a Savior. You can't fix your own sin. Your sin is so serious, it's spreading like a disease through everybody. It's killing you. It's killing our culture. It's killing humanity. Sin is so terrible. Sometimes, though, we're like, oh, sin's kind of fun, right? But then you're like, oh, that was terrible. I shouldn't do that again. But the truth is that's killing us. It is not, we are not made for that. Sin entered the world in Genesis, and so God starts his story. Sin is serious. And then we find out when he comes in the manger that this was the greatest hope of humanity. God had fulfilled his promise. Now, God says simply this, I'm going to fix your sin your sin is going to be fixed when my child, this little babe in a manger, is going to grow. He's going to be innocent. He's going to do nothing wrong. And everything that you do terrible in your life will be fixed because the innocent one is going to die for you. Now sin is fixed, but there's only one way to fix sin. You've got to just accept the fact that sin is a problem. I fixed the problem through Jesus. It's that simple. 
That is the beauty of the gospel. And there is no other way to heaven. If we believe in the manger, we can't believe there's multiple avenues to heaven because the manger was the beginning of the hope. And Matthew's going to show us a sign that the hope that we have in the manger, which comes through at Easter, is the hope of all of humanity. So if, you, in, if you're struggling and thinking, well, I'm a good person and I go to church sometimes and I, and I do lots of good things, that will get me to heaven, you don't believe in the manger. You've made that up and that's a deep fake. It's a deep fake because it feels good inside of your heart to say that I can earn my way to heaven. If I'm good enough, God will like me. The problem with sin is the minute you were born, you were sinning. Have you ever been around a newborn, those selfish little babies? They're crying and they're screaming. And don't even, let's not even talk about two-year-olds. If you know sin is real, just hang out with somebody else's two-year-old for just like a minute. And you're going to find out, wow, the selfishness, the sin that is there, it's all about me. Mine, mine, mine. Punch your sister. Kick your mom. You're like, okay, now I know why we need a savior. I've been with a two-year-old, right? And so this sin, there is no other way to God. Jesus said it, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to the Father except through me in John 14, 6. So if that is truth, friends, this Christmas season is really serious. This baby in a manger is really serious. Yet so many of us walk around unsure if we really know if it's real or not. Maybe the star happened. Maybe Jesus was born. Maybe Mary was a virgin. Maybe these things happened. And this is where Matthew is going to challenge us today. Matthew is setting up that he really is the Messiah. He is going to set up for you something that you've probably never seen, for, seen before in the Christmas story. He's going to set up that those magi, those wise men, those people who came from the east are proof that Jesus is the Messiah. But how in the world do we get to that? Let's go back to magi. Magi in the Greek word means wise men. So we've talked about uh, the wise men or people who are of some uh, outside of the Jewish culture. They usually came from Persia. They're philosophers, astronomers. Uh, they were the thinkers, and they were the ones who would be advisors to the king. They were your teachers. These were the smart ones, okay? These were your Harvard graduates, if you will. So all of these smart men, or we would call them magi, they are out in Persia at this time. And during this time, we see that they knew about the Jewish teachings, because being learned, they would know of all the different cultures of what was going on. And there was something that happened long ago in a writing in the book of Daniel. And for us, that's the Old Testament. For the Jewish people, those were the holy and ancient scripts. But the Persian men knew about this. How do we know we knew about this? They went on a pilgrimage of over a thousand miles to find the king of the Jews. Where do you get that from? You just don't make that up. That doesn't sound like a very convincing story unless there's something urging you to go forward. So we look in the book of Matthew. He starts with chapter 1. He starts with all the genealogy of Jesus, the genealogy or the, the family, the bloodline to prove and say, look, Jesus is in the line of David because they said the Messiah would come from King David. And King David, we see all the way back that Jesus is related to that. And so now, right out of the chute, we see that he is King David, the one that the Jewish people have waited for, and now we have non-Jewish people entering the story in Matthew chapter 2. 
And so the non-Jewish people, our magi, come in, and they are the ones who come in as the ones who are advisors of kings, the wise men, the one who actually select kings in other countries. They come and say, where is the king of the Jews? These Gentile men come as a witness and said, this guy's a king and we aren't even Jewish, which is huge if you were in Matthew and you're a Jewish reader. You'd be like, what'd you say? Who are these people in here? They don't know what's going on. They don't know our text. Why would Jesus, why would he be called king by people who aren't Jewish? But now we go back 2,000 years to our time. Um, I don't know your heritage and backgrounds. I'm going to guess the majority of people here are not of Jewish descent. But for us, if you are not of Jewish descent, known as a Gentile, Jesus is king of the Jews and he's king of the Gentiles. He's king of all people. So this, this little guy is just being born like he's the king of everybody. It starts in Matthew, a Jewish author to a Jewish audience. He is king of everybody. That would have ruffled a little bit of feathers because they believed the Messiah was going to be for them, that he was coming to save them. But Jesus came to save you. He came to save everybody. So as a non-Jewish person myself, I say thank you so much, God, for saving all of humanity. That star in the sky is actually going to be a sign that all people are going to be saved. What we see today is not only that Jesus is not just the Jewish king, but all king. And we have a tradition, and it's kind of worn off in our Christian traditions, but have you ever heard of the days, the Three Kings Day? There's a celebration on January 6th, Three Kings Day, or Epiphany Day. Have you heard of that? Epiphany Day, Three Kings Day, you know, we're done with Christmas at that point. We're like, I'm done celebrating. You know, eggnog's drunk, I'm done. You know, like, I'm, I'm done with cookies, no more. But Epiphany Day, or on January 6th, is the day of the first manifestation of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. So there is a Christian tradition that goes back all of these years that we celebrate that Jesus showed himself as king to Gentiles. And so in all honesty, that's something that we should really be excited about is Three Kings Day because Jesus showed himself of king of everybody. Because what we see in Epiphany Day is that the sign that we're about to look at was proof. The star in the sky was proof that the Gentile people were looking for and it came to be. So where this comes from is an old prophecy back in the book of Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the fourth book in Torah. And Torah are the first five books of the Bible for the Jewish people. And in this we see a story in Numbers 22 to 24 of a person named Balaam. And Balaam was a Gentile. And Balaam was a guy who was going around, and he had this job to do. Uh, he was called by the enemy of the Jewish people to go and curse, put curses on the Jewish people. And we'll pay you lots of money to do it. Like, cool, I <laughs> get paid. So he goes on this journey, but God stops him. And he starts to tell him, you are not to do this. And what's really crazy, if you want to see some cool like Bible stuff, read this, because his donkey starts talking to him. And telling them stuff, like I would totally be tripping, like my donkey's talking, that's way too much Red Bull today, right? (laughs) So God speaks through this donkey to tell him, you may not curse. So every time that Balaam goes to try to curse the Israelites, he actually speaks blessings and prophecy over them. 
So this other king's like, what's up? I'm paying you to curse them, and now you're blessing them. He's like, I don't know what's going on. So he would speak, and this comes from Numbers 24, verses 15 to 17. This is where we're going to pick up a sign that Jesus is the Messiah. So this is Balaam speaking. Then he spoke this message, the prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of the one who I sees clearly, the prophecy of the one who hears the words of God and who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty. So he's setting this up. I'm seeing a whole lot of stuff here, and I'm just speaking for God. Who falls prostrate and whose eyes are open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Seth. I want to emphasize this part again. I want to hear this prophecy. I see him. He's seeing the Messiah, but not now. He's coming in the future. I behold him, but it's not near. A star will come out of Jacob. Jacob, the people of Israel. A star is going to come out of the town of Bethlehem. A star is going to be a sign. And a scepter, what a king holds that shows majesty and rule, A star is going to be signed, a scepter is going to rise up, and he is going to crush all of his enemies. Now, he was supposed to be blessing uh, or cursing Israel, and here he blesses them to say, I see a fact that one's going to rise up out of you who's going to be the king of you all. And so, guess who knew this prophecy? The wise men. The wise men knew this prophecy. In fact, this was such a huge thought, and it was quoted so often that We see in early Christian walls that this prophecy is written in catacombs and in old tombs that they were waiting on this. Sandra Silver, who's a writer, shares in her work Balaam and the Star of Bethlehem that the catacomb of Priscilla in Rome is a slab covered as a grave with a person's name of Severa. And on the slab, on the slab is a depiction of three magi, again, that's where we get all of our, it wasn't three, but we keep moving on, of bringing gifts to the baby, Jesus and his mother, Behind Mary and Jesus pointing to a star is a picture of Balaam. And so this prophecy, unbeknown, this is Gentile people. This is people in Rome who were not Jewish. They were all waiting. The king is going to rise out of Israel. So these wise men who are in Persia knew this prophecy very, very well. What's interesting to me, as I did my work on this study, is how the people, the Jewish people, the people of Israel knew the prophecies but didn't believe. They knew what was coming, but it took Gentiles first to be able to come out and say, I'm going to tell you that he is legit. So we're going to do something now that I think would be kind of fun. We're going to go through this passage again. I want to read through this passage. I want to show you something maybe you haven't seen before, that this star that the Magi knew about and had been waiting for and the world was looking for comes. This star appears and they go, that's it. The star appears and they said, I have a great idea. We need to travel a thousand miles. We're going to get onto our donkeys, our camels. We're going to get and we're going to make this pilgrimage, which it wasn't the day Jesus was born. It's in our pictures. That's a deep fake. That's not what happened. Jesus had already been born. They'd been on this pilgrimage. And what we're going to find out through details, my friends, and I said, take note of the fact that Herod wanted to know the time, is that 
it probably was about two years that this star had been in the sky that these magi had been following because once they don't come back and tell that, hey, we found Jesus and this is where he is, he goes, Herod goes and kills every boy who is two years and under because he wanted to kill the king. Isn't that insane? That for two years, so tell me how long this has been. We've been following the star for about two years. They didn't come back. I don't know where this boy is. Kill all of them. Anybody, because this king cannot rise up. Because Herod believed he was the king. Let's go back into Matthew chapter 2. Check this out. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. The two things that are going back to the prophecy of Balaam, the two things, where we followed a star and a king, scepter and star, where is the one who's going to rise up from the people of Israel? So Jesus is born, the Magi arrive, they're expecting that everyone would probably be at this king, the king is here, they followed the star, and then we hear what Herod says. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Boy, this doesn't make sense to our story now. You think this would be exciting. You think this would be amazing. And there's lots of thoughts of, of why that happened. One of the thoughts was that they did know the prophecy, that they knew the prophecy and they were afraid of what was about to happen. They were afraid, and King Herod, knowing that another king was going to rise up, well, then he is going to be pulled out of it. So I don't want another king to rise up, so he's disturbed. But also there's this thought of when these men came in, they didn't come in as we show our pictures. Again, let's think about our deep fakes. They're cute nativities, but not real. So you've got, it's not three men just coming in, carrying these big boxes of frankincense, gold, and myrrh. What really happened is a whole entourage because of all these teachers and scribes in which it would have been a full caravan of a huge amount of people. Now, I'm a Disney geek, so forgive me. I enjoy Disney movies. I want to go back to the very original Aladdin. Remember when Prince Ali and Aladdin came in? Make way for Prince Ali. And he had the, you know, he, well, the genie was the elephant and stuff, but he had this huge entourage of people coming in and blowing horns and making noise when he was coming in to see the princess. Let's think it's more like that. That would scare Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a small little town, and all of a sudden there's big people because they are coming to see the king. They are waiting. Where is your king? We want to honor him. We've been waiting. This has been prophesied and spoke of for so many years. So many writers and scholars believe that this huge caravan of people coming in, where's the king, freaked everybody out. We don't know for sure. Those are just scholars' thoughts. We keep reading. When he had called all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So he calls all of his smart people, like, hey, smart people, hey, what did they say about this guy? Where was he supposed to be born? So now we're doing a little bit of detective work because Herod wants to see if this is legit. Is this some fake thing? Maybe these are Gentiles who don't understand stuff. Wait, wait, wait. I remember something about a prophecy. A Messiah was supposed to be born. Where was he supposed to be? And they answer in verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea. I wonder what he thought at that moment. <laughs> this is not good. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Now, this prophecy is coming from Micah 
chapter 5. In Micah chapter 5, it says this, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Another prophecy from the Old Testament that out of this little sleepy town, oh, little town of Bethlehem, right? That's kind of legit. So little town of Bethlehem. Here out of Bethlehem, one is, a king is going to rise to rule the people of Israel. And so the teachers and the priests, they all knew this. And they said, well, actually, remember in Micah, back in this writing, we have this prophecy that he's going to rise up out of Bethlehem. Mm, and all these kings just came to Bethlehem. They followed the star to Bethlehem. Everything is starting to line up. All the facts are now lining up. And King Herod is not happy about what's happening. We move on in verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out them, here we go, the exact time the star had appeared. So I'm just curious. I mean, don't be afraid or anything. I'm not going to kill babies, you know. But when did the star come? When did this thing happen? So again, assumptions of scholars, and we kind of look and put the pieces together. This is probably there for around two years, and that's why the mark of killing everybody born within two years because they were following, he didn't know when the baby was born, but these guys started following this star, which is a prophecy, and a baby is going to be born in Bethlehem, kill them all. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Lies. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place the child was. Very interesting fact. Where it happened to the star, we don't know, but it rose again and went right to the place that he was supposed to be born. So was this star moving? Was it something that was always in the sky? Was it there day and night? We don't know any of those details. Fun things to maybe debate. But what we do know is it went, boop, shop. Ooh, that was loud. Uh, spotlight on Bethlehem, right where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Herod is disturbed. The Magi are overjoyed. The ones who were supposed to be waiting for the king did not want him to come. The ones who were outside the Jewish people waiting for the king couldn't wait to meet him. Kind of like us sometimes, right? We'll get to that in a second. Herod picks up all these signs. He starts to see that things are not going the way that he wants. And then this, this story unfolds. We start to learn a lot more of the signs Proving, not just in a star of a prophecy of a babe born in Bethlehem, we're going to see many more signs that we're going to continue on in our series the next few weeks. So you have to come back to hear more. But I want to go back to that point. Why were the people not happy to see their king? And why were people outside happy to have a king? Why was there this excitement of a Jewish or not excitement of Jewish people, and a fear of the king who's over them, if they knew the prophecy, there would be elation. Obviously, Herod's heart did not want to have anything to do with this Messiah. Obviously, something was corrupt inside of this man, and there's lots of stories and back writings about how Herod was uh, obsessive and that he was anxious and he would kill people all the time. There are all these historical pieces of Herod which, which are interesting but I go more to the heart. Why wouldn't you be excited that your Messiah is there? And why would a group of men who were not of Jewish descent be so fired up and elated that the king has come? It's all about their hearts. You look at our own lives, and friends, when we talk about sin is serious, 
and I, and I share with you what it took and how important the gospel is in our life and how important this babe in a manger is to all of humanity, some of you are excited and some of you are saying, mm, I don't really like this story. I know that the story is hard because we have to admit that we're not good enough, that I have the problem. It's not God's problem. It's my problem. It's humanity's problem. I'm causing sin. I have sinned. I don't like that. I don't like the fact that I messed up. I don't like to admit it. I don't like to think I can't earn my way to heaven. I like my Jesus, seven-pound, eight-ounce Jesus in a baby manger. I like my baby Jesus who wants me to do lots of good things so that when I see baby Jesus in heaven, I say to baby Jesus, I did lots of good things in my life and I was a good person. I didn't murder anybody. Therefore, I get to go to heaven with you, right? We like that version because it's our version. It's a deep fake. The real version is that our hearts have to come to a place of saying, I am not good enough. I am broken. I do need someone to save me. I'm, I, I am messed up. I do need a king. I do need a Messiah. And at that point, that is when the gospel takes hold. Because now you say, well, what is going to save me or who is going to save me? And the answer is one answer only, Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger. My, men, my friends who are both men and women, both young and old, love to debate facts. And I'm a nerd too, so if you like to debate facts, um, I don't want to do it today, but maybe someday. I love, I love history and facts. But we want to get so caught up in weeds of, well, if you can just prove to me everything absolutely, a thousand percent, all the time, then maybe I'll believe in Jesus. Maybe I'll believe in your God. But I'm just going to tell you something today. There are more signs and miracles and things happening that how much more proof do you need that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God actually exists? It's all around us, and the scriptures talk about it over and over again. And Jesus himself actually says, how many more signs and miracles do you want? He was there doing all these miracles. All these things were happening. In our current day, with all of our historical information, they've proven all of these things in the Bible. We say, ah, I still don't believe it. It's not about believing in facts. It's really about our heart. And this Christmas season, I just want to challenge and encourage us as we go through these amazing facts of signs. If you are at a place of saying, I'm not sure yet, listen to the signs that are just in the Bible alone. A manuscript and a, a teaching that was passed down and has held the time in a culture that no longer exists to our culture now is still relevant back then as it is today. Jesus is the king of everybody. The star in the sky and the wise men coming proves to you today in 2021 that the one that many spoke of years before is the one who came to save everybody. It's just the beginning of the story. And all throughout Jesus' life, he fills every prophecy over and over and over again and then proves it. And then how great is this God? Not only does he die, he comes back and he rises again and he shows himself to people. Ah, I don't know. People don't rise from the dead, Jason. That's cool. I hear you on that. That's a little out there. But then these men and women that he showed himself to took this truth to the actual grave. They were martyred and killed. So if it was a deep fake, I don't know about you. I'm not going to die for a fake. I'll die for the real thing. 
And Jesus at the end shows himself, says, look, here are my scars. Here are the holes in my hands. Here are the holes in my feet. There's a hole in my side. I am Jesus. I'm the one. I've come back, and I am the king. Now, what more proof do you need? And these men and women took this movement, and you're sitting here today because of it. And almost every single one was killed for it. I'm not going to die for a fake, but these men and women didn't. They gave their life to what is real. And so this Christmas season, be encouraged that you're going to see, look at Christmas, the decorations, the signs, everything a little bit different, that Jesus is the Son of God who's come to save the world. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.